Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. You are tuned into Queenie Air and 3CR Community Radio. I'm Iris and I'm here with Dev and I in the studio today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Um, I'm okay. I think I've just had a difficult few weeks. Um, yeah, breaking breaking my wrist wasn't oh no. the greatest thing to happen. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Yeah. So today we're going to be talking about a number of things. So later in the show, we'll be like going through some past shows and showing you some highlights of past shows, past interviews. And to start off with, we'll be talking about some um, things in the news and I guess like that have come up recently. And later on, we're going to end with like what's happening and events that you might like to go to. So I hope you um, listeners really enjoy the show. Um, but first, I'd like to start off with an acknowledgement of country. 3CR um, is broadcasting over the lands of the Kulin Nations, the Wurundjeri and Bunurong peoples. I'd like to pay my respect to Indigenous elders, past, present and future. Um, and I'd like to acknowledge that we're broadcasting over, over stolen lands and genocide is ongoing. And yeah... Non-Indigenous people have to centre that that struggle in any sort of social movement. Um, Yeah. So, do do you have? So, I I heard like stuff. There's all this protest stuff that's happening with Milo, the (laughs) sort of fascist person that came over here, and I think got like a million dollars in ticket sales and has got a lot of media attention. Has you know, I guess the conservative press just like love a figure like a figure like that who can push the boundaries and push things and make the conservatives look like even more reasonable um, and less extreme than they are. Um, yeah, how did you? I heard that you had a close encounter with the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, so they were just. Um, yeah, it was really strange. I was just walking home one day, and then a lot of people were running past me, and they were yelling, you know, the "No Nazi, No Nazi" slogan. And then just, you know, right right after that, there was the police and the riot police came and they took out their shields and their helmets, the helmets, helmets. Yeah, the helmets and then um, the capsicum spray as well, which was happening. So there were at, at the start, I think there were lots of like, um, you know, like um, seasoned protesters, you know, um, from like communist groups or whatever. Um, all types of lefties that were very experienced with protesting. And then um, Milo had two shows. That was before the first show. And then right before the second show, um, this is when the riot police came. Um, A lot of people from the local Flemington, Kensington council houses started coming down. And um, they started joining in the protests as well, which was really interesting. And then you have these, I think you can see the photos as well. You have these pictures of women in hijabs from the council houses protesting, holding, you know, signs that said, no Nazis, um, this is, you know, don't be racist, etc., etc. Et and then um, as it got later in the night, um, you had the riot police basically forming like a faction separating the 
fascists and the alt-right um, and then the protesters from the left and eventually it just got really chaotic there was glass being thrown there was rocks being thrown from both sides as well um, the left was actually very angry um, and the right police to break it up started um, moving in not on the right but on to the left and started pushing the people towards the council houses mind you there was children and young adults as well um, and then basically running after and I saw this young you know kid of African origin um, being chased by like seven riot police they weren't he wasn't being beaten up or anything but he was being chased by them and it looked pretty scary and con- confrontational and then um, it, it did it did manage to calm down after that but there was a lot of violence within that um, fireworks were going out there were like mini explosions everywhere it was it was and then they stopped the trams obviously so no public transport mm-hmm. during that period of time um but yeah it was very hectic it was very violent um and apparently milo inside he was ranting about women and Mm. about race and immigration which is a big problem and apparently the majority of the attendees were men i I actually saw they were mostly men not from melbourne from other parts of victoria like um geelong and um other parts of yeah melbourne as well and um yeah apparently he got on a motorbike which sounds really intense and then, yeah, that's what happened. Oh, there was a helicopter um, flying around as well. Mm. <laughs> really, really intense, yeah, and violent. Yeah, the police presence at that protest, um, I wasn't at the protest, but the pictures I've seen and the footage I've seen and the reports I've heard from people and listening to you, it sounds like, like who, who do the police protect and the police, um, I don't know, I've heard people talk about from the protests that the police were very much like they like protected the whole like Milo's event and then sort of attacked the protests and attacked the house the, the Flemington housing estate Did they? later in the night so yeah um I'm not sure how long you were there for but I, I read yeah they came into the estate and I've seen some videos uploaded and it's it's quite confronting and yeah like that sort of really overt racist policing happens in melbourne in flemington that's like a good example of it i don't really understand why they had to bring the riot police in to be honest they could have because there was you know the traditional police force as well they could have just done with that um but yeah it was very violent there was broken glass everywhere the next morning rocks everywhere it didn't really do anything apart from bring milo a lot of publicity as well you know and all publicity is good publicity, basically. What's mm. the irony? Mm. Mm, yeah, what do we do to... I guess... Yeah, I mean, mm. there were some people in the news talking about how he should have been taken on, you know, in the news, kind of like a public debate, yep. intellectually, because that would have been the best way to kind of combat him and his views, his very controversial views on women, on immigration, um, even on things like race, even though his mom's Jewish or something. Um, and there was also this really strange thing about how, what Milo should be there because it's all about freedom of speech, but I don't really know if that's acceptable because he was just ranting, apparently. There was no facts, there was no figures, there was no evidence, it was just an angry person ranting. And I don't know if that's acceptable, like, that kind of hate speech, like, it can't be censored, but should he be given a platform like that? Does it, does he deserve that? Mm, yeah, they're important questions. Mm, 
why do like people like him have such massive platforms and you think about yeah compared to him and like a lot of marginalized people have no platform and the whole inherent injustice of this like i like liberal idea of freedom of speech when like we have institutions like the herald sun and fairfax media to a lesser extent but still the mainstream media in general that um give a lot of attention to like these like right-wing figures and sort of normalize normalize i suppose the potential that like in the u.s there might like this sort of far-right and fascist stuff like that potentially might grow in australia i'm not sure what will happen it's hard to say what's micro in australia i feel um as well um, I feel like because, you know, like consi- considering the fact they got such a big following and yeah. tickets were selling for such a big price. I don't know if it's so micro so much as it's kind of on under the surface, but it's kind of bubbling as well. Um, it's really strange. And yeah, you know, you had that guy, um, someone called something Ericsson, who was, have you heard of him, Iris? Yes, I think Neil Erickson. Yeah. That oh god, is this the person from that's who wears a Tulsa t-shirt? Or I'm not sure, but he's got a weird haircut, and he okay. was getting into fights there as well. I saw him. Yeah, the intense. Yeah, his weird trolls, mm-hmm. and apparently, um, Milo's followers call themselves the Troll Academy. Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Mm. Yeah, the Troll Academy. It's just. Just like making money off extreme bigotry and mm. creating space for more in like of that is just really so disturbing. Mm. Um, should we move on to the marriage equality bill that's just been passed? Do you have any thoughts, feelings, ideas, reactions to it? Um Yes, I think I do have some thoughts on that. I guess like I think the whole thing is is just being forced on us, this whole, like, postal thing, and it's become the central issue for queer, trans, intersex people, and it's just not the central issue, and it's just so frustrating to have it. Well, it's great, it's great that it's over, over, but I guess, like, we see the problems with the bill. There's still, like, exemptions that some people are proposing, like, progressive amendments. Like, the bill isn't very good. It has, like, exemptions that are not... Are no good um, in terms of particular like discriminatory religious exemptions that yeah um, so it's like mixed results with that and I guess I guess there's mixed results in terms of how how marriage or the marriage model in terms of any couple sort of structures society and and sort of it prioritizes like one form of having a relationship over all others and that's like an ongoing concern I have like I think that needs to be minimized but there isn't much movement of like undoing the sort of privileging of that relationship Mm. yeah what are your thoughts on um I saw this thing about how people who had already been married overseas like automatically then then are legally married in Australia do you have any thoughts about that um which you mean in other countries trees um so people who had gone to you know other countries various other countries and did sign the document now it's legally accepted in australia as well like automatically they're married how do you feel about that any thoughts um 
I guess if they're a couple anyway, yeah, like the homophobic amendment that Howard put in in 2004 is just messed up and it's good that's over, but like right, rights in Australia are sort of given to de facto couples in the same way as if you're married. So like there's not, it's not like a huge change. It's like a symbolic change, and I suppose that symbolism is important to many people. Um, but yeah, I'm just concerned about all the people that can't cross borders because their relationships aren't seen as a marriage or a de facto couple, or they're seen mm-hmm. as too disabled. And the states, like all the ableists in the state, sort of has about mm-hmm. you can't cross borders if you like might need a lot of support from the state. And just like the general housing and um, problems for a lot of queer and trans people and, yeah, the rising rents and unemployment. Mm. Um, yeah. What, what would it look like if we had, if, like, the energy of the Yes campaign was used to, like, centre marginalisation rather than, I guess, this idea of, like, a quite... I suppose the Yes campaign often presented quite the idea of queerness as this like privileged white middle class couple. But what would it look like if we had campaigns that centered a whole range of marginalized people in? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's really interesting. Yeah. There's also, it's now that you mentioned marginalized people, it's also very commercialized as well. Um, a lot of yeah. big hotels, I was just walking here, have put up signs saying, We do in response mm. to the yes vote meaning yeah. you know they're going to be <laughs> they're going to be holding weddings so many weddings coming up um in these big commercial institutions um yes how do you feel about that mm. well, i think that actually recently encountered a book called white weddings romancing <laughs> heterosexuality and something culture and i think it like mm. goes on to make this critique with the wedding industrial complex i haven't really read that book fully I just read a few excerpts and I was like wow this actually is a problem like it's okay if people have weddings but in terms of this like becomes this capitalist thing is like ex- like huge amounts of money and you think of the search for diet like for diet I read a thing a point it made was like a lot of the labor that goes into weddings comes from people of color in less privileged places of the world and they mm. were arguing about, yeah, how that's tied into this, like, inequality in capitalism. So I guess, like, the kind of, all the wedding mania, it's just, <laughs> it's just, like, over the top and disappointing. And it's sort of, ex- like, when it becomes quite extreme, it's, like, all about this extreme celebration of these two people. It's just, like, I I guess find it kind of, uh, I don't know, what word to give it, just... Mm. It's just like, yeah, it shows a lot of the problems like where we are. I'm interested in seeing how communities of colour would either respond or react to um, same-sex marriage within their communities. I'm interested in seeing how that will manifest and how that will evolve as well. Yeah. Mm. Do you have any thoughts on what might happen? Um, In terms of racial racialized communities yeah um i think it's really interesting because when a lot of immigrants come here the first thing that goes 
through their mind is obviously it's different and that you have to assimilate. Um, and I've read a lot of writers who've talked about um, having parents who were initially form of homophobic, but once they came here and once they understood um, queer relationships, queer queer lives and queer communities, they became more accepting of it and they actually had voted yes. Um, so I'd really like to see if there is a rise or if there is, if it changes how marriage is done with, within um, communities that are uh, coloured communities um, and also how they accept or reject um, queer marriage. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I guess, yeah, who knows? The future is like unpredictable. Um, and also I'm thinking about what's happened overseas in terms of places that have um, marriage opened up beyond some couples, but beyond like mm-hmm. to all couples. And what we're seeing in the US and UK at the moment is a lot of, I guess a lot of conservative backlash on a lot of, I, and it's like concerning, I suppose there's a lot of the press in the UK at the moment is is sort of targeting trans women, especially trans women of colour at the moment. And we saw in the US a whole like string of anti like bathroom laws that like targeted mm. the same group. And that followed the like the Love Wind campaign that deliberately it chose not to like not to have trans people in its representation of like queer people mm. and it sort of paved a way for the conservatives to um yeah to use um the f- yeah to use that exclusion and like and to like i guess yeah use i guess the trans phobia in the left and i don't know that i suppose that's what happens if yeah I also have another topic for you, if you'd like, if you okay. may like to What's address What's the other it. topic? It's Rihanna's comment about trans women. Did you hear about that? About, um, about, for Fenty, did you hear about that? What are your thoughts on um, that? Um, could you, like, get, talk a bit, a bit more about for listeners and for myself, because yeah. I think I caught some of it, some people on social media, but I don't think I'm fully across. So Rihanna was asked why she didn't cast trans women. Yeah. And she said that she didn't want to, like, it, she didn't want to, like, have these castings particularly for trans women because she wanted to have them for all women, regardless of their identity um, and how they chose to represent their identity. Um, and a lot of social media places have been um, celebrating that as kind of like a victory because it doesn't show women or it, it doesn't according to Vienna it doesn't show women as being separate trans women as being separate from cis women um it it kind of she apparently comes across as having an umbrella term with the with the chosen word of women how do you feel about that maybe I've explained it really badly mm. but yeah okay yeah um yeah, I guess I don't know fully the context of it, but I'll respond from what I know. I think it's like good that um, I think some people when they're like learning about trans stuff, it becomes this thing where trans people are othered in terms of it's like 
women and trans women. So it's this kind of idea that mm. w- like trans women are outside of womanhood still in this they're kind of this special category when we're actually not. Um, mm. So I f- like anything that that does like point out that's a problem is is good. But I guess like there there also is the problem that there isn't um, many trans women, especially if you're more gender non-conforming or more visibly trans. There's not like many. In any sort of, I, I suppose, yeah, we have, yeah, there's just like an absence in general. We do have, I guess, some interesting stuff happening in terms of there has been um, the likes of Laverne Cox and mm-hmm. Janet Mock who um, have quite a high profile and that sort of thing. But often it's like... The space they have to do things isn't is kind of constrained a lot by yeah society. Yeah, it's still like somehow things haven't changed enough, even though those are good things. Mm. Mm. And there's ways in which if we just have like some people, yeah, it's about how do we uplift all people because we have like still the same sort of entrenched um, poverty and trans. Misogyny for, misogyny for a lot of trans women, particularly with intersections of being a trans woman of colour, disabled trans woman, these sorts of things. We have a lot of that being very high. And how does... Yeah. And having a few people at the top is... is It's good to see, like, representation happening, but represent, representation isn't enough. We need, like, material changes and people to be out of poverty and stuff. Yeah, I agree. There um, needs to be systematic change yeah. in terms of um, structural and um, institutional change as well. I agree, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So, um, do you have any other thoughts on some recent stuff that's been happening? Other thoughts? Um, what else has happened recently? Um, not at the moment, do you? No, I think we'll leave it. We'll leave it open. Leave it there. We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter. What you Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we got the hell. Lots of changes, we need more brothers. Hello, listeners. You're, you're tuning into Querying the Air on 3CR Community Radio. I'm Aris, and I'm here with Dev. Um, so, so next we're going to play for you a show. Much in, back in January, I was joined in the studio. I was joined in the studio with um, with a few people. I was joining with Rouge for Buck and Frankie, and we. And we talked about the Miss Jew case. So I'm just going to 
play for you this as a highlight from the year and we'll and stay tuned to Crania on 3CR Community Radio. Um so today we're talking about um the Miss Dew case. And for listeners who are just tuning in now, um, I'm going to just give a brief kind of contextual um, bit of information about the case. And then we've got um, two people, Rouge and Babak, who are going to have a conversation with us about some of the stuff around that. So um, Imaji woman Miss Dew died in custody in 2014 after being detained for unpaid fines. Miss Dew's family have been fighting for justice since her death and now more than two years later an inquest into the death has condemned police treatment as inhumane. The police commissioner described the police officers involved to have failed in their basic obligations to Miss Dew regarding her safety, welfare and dignity. However, no actions against the officers have been taken. Um, and CCT footage released late 2016 and the coroner's findings released found that Miss Dew's death was preventable and the police acted unprofessionally and inhumane. Um, and a report from SBS NITV um, said um, Ruth Barson from the Human Rights Law Council said the brutality of Miss Dew's death is inexcusable and there have been a cascading series of failures by police and hospital staff um, during her case. She was treated in cruel and inhumane ways by those who had a duty of care to look after her. She was dismissed, ignored, neglected and denied her basic human rights. So... um, why we've got Rouge and Babak here um, to talk to us about this is that they've um, helped to put together a fundraiser um, called Justice for Miss Jew, and um, it's raising money for Miss Jew's family. Um, so I guess I want to start off by talking about um, this idea of negligence in her case um, and what you think about, yeah, if you have any thoughts about that, Rouge, to start off with. I think this case is not um, not separate from a wider and continuous systematic uh, oppression that um, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people face day to day. There is definitely a two-tiered approach of how we apply the legal system to particular sections of the community versus um, people who who are privileged or who have access to a multitude of um, institutional assistance and also like blind spots as well that help them sort of get away with a lot of things and um, and there's uh, there's no way of seeking retribution for the people on the second tier who are often um, faced with violence and also perhaps legalized violence as well because it's codified within legal systems and there are subsections that allow for this sort of intimidation to be um, perpetrated. Mistu is a particular case as well because it shows that if an Aboriginal woman does not pay some fines, she will be incarcerated and her voice will be silenced and denied and uh, her legitimacy and autonomy will be um, denied as well. And 
in comparison, day to day, pretty much like any non-Aboriginal person can go in uh, and follow through with unpaid fines for years on end, sometimes people even celebrating how long they've lasted, not paying their fines, which for me makes me very uncomfortable because it's an expression of privilege. And in comparison, Aboriginal people are incarcerated for really minor cases. And you see that in Dondale as well, where kids have been incarcerated for really minor cases as well. What does this actually mean? It sort of means that this constant infantilizing and um, degradation continues and that we do not, we like we institutionally and as a nation, do not respect Aboriginal voices, do not see them as um, autonomous. We constantly speak for those voices and I also understand that two non-Aboriginal people talking about this issue is also speaking for, but... I guess like we we're just participating in a fundraiser so that there's the connection there. Um but yeah, and we and we continue to silence those um that that ability to self-actualize and live a free life. Yeah. And when we're talking about negligence as well, it's important to remember that Miss Jew's case, while exceptional and, and certainly extremely brutal in its own way, is is one moment in a system of moment that permits and encourages and perpetuates systems of negligence and violence that disproportionately affect Indigenous people in this country. And I think it's like so important in this instance that we um, are raising awareness and funds for Mischievous Family, but because alongside that, we also have to remember that there are so many cases throughout this bloody in a very literal sense, country's history where negligence has been the standard, has been the hallmark of police. And, and has been approved and rewarded as well. And promoted yeah. and encouraged. And put into law. Yeah. yeah, and like codified, as you said. Yeah. So like how how can you dispute something that is like logical, objective in and the law? And often the ruling. commentary is like, oh, is it legal? And if it is legal, it is just. And often um, the legalities of it is not just whatsoever. Mm. And um, and we continue to perpetuate that. But also Miss Dew's family, through the pain and hurt and the significant um, loss, have used this to garner and uphold her spirit and um, and the, and her significance in their lives, in their community, and have continued to fight. And without that strength, without that courage in the face of so much pain, we wouldn't really be talking about her because just like any other loss, any other Aboriginal person that passes away and continues to pass away in the hands of our violent um, institutions... We yeah we would it would be unheard of because we're just so used to ignoring mm. this. And when we're talking about that level of like codified institutionalized racism in this case, it's really telling that seniority in the police force was um, a marker for that negligence, where like more senior members of the um, the people involved with the police were the ones insisting on that negligence on Miss Jew being treated inhumanely and, and ignored, whereas the younger members who had less time to kind of absorb and reproduce that institutionalised racism. And that was Babak speaking on the Miss Jew case earlier, and I had interviewed Babak and Rouge earlier. Um, next, I have for you, for you a track 
by Race Rage. Um, it's called Burn, and definitely tr- check out Race Rage's Race Rage's uh, Facebook. And I also heard there's a human rights today's Human Rights Day, in it, and there's a rally on at the same time as our show. And I think at at four p.m. I think it's yeah, the ref- like the rallies sort of centering. Um, the imprisonment of refugees on Manus Island by the Australian government and is calling for that to end. And I also heard, I think at 4pm, Race Rage and a bunch of other people, there's going to be some sort of musical, like, stereo system set up in the CBD and there's going to be sort of protesting going on, so maybe try and check that out. I think that's happening around 4pm. Um, also, really quickly, um, on the 17th of December, there's a, a protest... Um, at the Flemington, at Debney's Park, where the Flemington Council is housing. And you should go for that if you're interested in learning more about what happened with Milo's uh, presence there and how people felt and how they reacted. Yes. Oh, yeah. What's more details about this protest? Do you know that? It's on Facebook. There's a Facebook event page for that on the 17th yeah. of December. Um, there's going to be a lot of, um, like, some lawyers are coming and speaking and some Greens as well and some local council people. So that should be very interesting if you all are interested about that kind of thing. Okay. Cool. You're tuning into Queer in the Air on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, streaming online and on digital. And I'm Iris, joined with Dev, and we're playing for you now, Burned by Race Rage. Um, and next I'm going to play for you another highlight from the year, early year. There was a lot of stuff going on on International Women's Day and I had Regan and Lisbeth in the studio and we talked about some things related to that. A comment that one of the interviewees made in terms of the differing experiences of women based on social location and where they are in the world. And one of the interviewees made a comment about the large proportion of murders of trans women of colour. Um, and, and I was thinking about the rally in terms of how an expansive list of demands, but in what sense were they visible at the rally? Um, and who was like left out of the rally um, as well? Does anyone have anything to comment about those things? Yeah, I think in, in terms of the um, the presence of um, of people there, of the chance, I, f- I think it kind of does fall a bit to the lowest common denominator feminism. Um, what I would what I would call it, and that's not surprising. I think that's the um, the feminism that has the greatest exposure. Um, I think it's the feminism that's most kind of amenable. Um, within a political climate, which is relatively conservative. Um, and I, I think there, there is a difficulty with um, uh, that inclusion in a lot of instances where it is just uh, tokenistic, that we should be talking about someone just so that we talk about them. Um, and I think the, um, the issue really is what action is being taken, um, what work is being done, um, and yeah, in, interesting in, in this, um, to what degree are we going to, um, going to focus on 
what is outside our own experiences because obviously that is so important. Um, everyone has certain privileges um, and everyone experiences certain everyone experiences certain oppressions. Maybe not everyone experiences certain oppressions. Um, but, you know, there are things outside of our experiences which are really important to, um, to not just acknowledge but actually work on. Um, with something like International Women's Day, there are so many things which could be discussed. There are so many things um, which, um, which could have really overshadowed, uh, for example, um, equal pay. Um, which is a really significant kind of rallying call for um, within liberal feminism, um, or, or double pay, as I heard um, a lot of people chanting. Um, <laughs> I think mm. that was a bit tongue in cheek. They they just want twice the cash, but but that's kind of it is the logic of um, a, a capitalist uh, um, feminism, which is beholden to capitalism, is that as women we just want twice as much money. Yeah. I think that, I mean, the equal pay stuff is interesting because of the. I mean, it's got its origins within the labour movement. Um, it's a long, um, but part of the reasons why it's so, um, it's continued to linger as an issue is the fact that it's the. Um, this is something I think about a lot, <laughs> actually, in terms of the the, the, the structures of capitalism, like which reinforce and, re, and re, reproduce um, inequalities in pay. Um, the part of the problem is is that mostly when people talk about um, uh, the pay gap, they're talking about two averages: the average for all men and the average for all women based on ordinary hours, um, earning hours. But then there's so many different um, intersections, which means that those th you actually, you know, if you talk about women of colour, they will tend to earn a lot less than white women, and then and men of colour will earn things. That, there's stuff in the US where they do the, the comparisons between different um, racial groups because of the US census is quite weird because of the way in which they. They, they lump people into categories, but they, they can extract that and they show um, the, the very different discrepancies that exist between groups. But I think that going back to the question of um, people being able to talk about themselves is that well, I think there's been a growth of awareness, at least on, like, on online feminism and things like that, around the, the concept of intersection, intersectionality. But it's much easier to talk about being intersectional than actually be intersectional because it's so... It's very hard to think about other people's experiences uh, um, that are different from yours and to be aware of your privileges. That's partly why privilege works, is that it's very hard to know oh, I've got these things that other people don't have and you just take them for granted. Um, and so I think that it's very easy for people to not to think that they're not being... They're not reflecting their privilege, but they're actually do, to be doing that. Um, um, and so even when you get things where people are sincerely trying to do the right thing can just do it very badly because of the fact that they just don't actually um, have that exp the experience of the thing that they're talking about. So um, I don't think it's easy. I don't know if there's any, um, any, any, any easy solutions. I, I think partly it's about the Voice Issue Centre as well. Mm. I, I think about this also in terms of... Um intentionality it's like you can have the best intentions of the in the world um and still be really um reinforcing oppressive dynamics um and being completely um oblivious to your privileges and in many ways i'd kind of um expect that um on a personal level I, level i kind of expect that i'm completely unaware of my privileges and that, that i will be doing a whole bunch of things um that that are quite problematic and probably quite harmful to the people around me um and 
rather than kind of seeing ourselves as um, as people that are somehow above and beyond that, um, seeing that we we have um, all been so deeply affected by the society that we live in that we take on um, so much of the um, of the character of that society, um, and yes, we work hard to kind of um, dismantle those structures. Um, yeah, but there's there's still always more to be done. Um, and that was Bibi Goy by Kandere. And before that, you heard an, an interview from earlier the year featuring Regan and Lisbeth and myself, Iris. And I'm also joined in the studio with Davina. And we're now we're going to talk about a bunch of things that are coming up. Um, do you want to start? Um, so, yeah, um, so there's the 6th Annual Mama Alta Christmas Special at uh, the Butterfly Club, which is held on the 17th. Um, it's from 6 to 9. You should go check it out. I went for the one last day. It was amazing. There's also another Christmas special by Mama Alto at Hairs and Hyenas. It's on the 19th. It's from 7.30 till 9.45. Um, again, really, really good. Um, please check it out. Um Mapping Melbourne is on. It's by the Multicultural Arts Victoria Incorporation. It's from the 1st of December till the 14th. Liminal Magazine actually has an exhibition at No Vacancy Gallery, which is part of Mapping Melbourne. It's called Reflection, and it you know has a lot of really amazing artists of colour being portrayed, but also f- works of art done by um, people of colour. Um, the, no- the, the next thing that I want to give a shout-out to is... Balimbing, um, which is um, a photography, a, photo, a photography exhibition, um, which explores um, Filipino queerness. It's from the twelfth to the seventeenth of December. It's basically about. Um, uh, it's by a photographer called Gregory Lorenzuti, who brings uh, brings to Australia a collection of photographs in mul- in daring multicultural color that captures the intimate lives of queer Filipinos steeped in faith, resilience, survival, family and spectacle queerness. Photographed during the San Nino Fiesta in Tacloban over three years, Balimbing, Star Fruit in Ware dialect, is the culmination of long conversations and personal stories shared during the preparations for a momentous Filipino celebration which promoted which prompted deep recollections of the photo- photographer's own upbringing in Latin America. This exhibition unfolds the complex social relations in a place where faith, popular traditions, colonialism, gender fluid and love can coexist. Go check it out. It um, features my favorite intersection, which is race, sexuality and gender. Cool. Yep. So much happening. So many of that things on. Mm. Mm. You were talking about Archer magazine. You mentioned So, that. yeah. So this, yeah, this Friday we have the launch of the Archer magazine family edition. I saw the... Anyone that's seen a cover of it looks like mm, amazing. So good. Mm. Um, yeah. So check that it's, it's like this Friday, I think it's around 7 p.m. It's at the Mechanics Institute and you have to get a ticket beforehand because they have limited capacity. And um, if you if you can't have the funds, they have like a no, no one turn away for lack of funds option as well. Um, another thing that's going on is... The Sound School, the Melbourne Sound School, which tries to um, promote sound and music skills for people that aren't as represented in a lot of electronic or sound and music scenes, like women and 
non-binary people. Um, they've got a fundraiser going on. You can find them at, at Melbourne Sound School on Facebook and it's worth supporting. And, and, and there's like, and next month is January and then it's like, there's all these events on and we have, and as a few, I'd like to briefly mention that I think listeners might be interested in checking out. Um, so there's a bent Bollywood act by Raina Peterson and Gorvin. They're doing a thing together and it sounds really awesome. I like look that up and Mama Alto is doing a queerly beloved thing. Also look that one up and I suppose there's a lot more, but that's the ones we have. And oh, also the Cocoa Butter Club. Oh my at gosh. How did we forget about Yeah. Yes, the Cocoa Butter Club, I don't have the dates on. Maybe that's at the Arts Centre. Get your tickets if you can right now because they'll probably sell out. didn't look like when I got a mm-hmm. ticket. There was, it looked like the seats were running out, so plan ahead. They've got an amazing lineup as well this time, including Vena Peterson doing Bollywood dance, um, classical bo- uh, classical dance, not Bollywood dance, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I th- who else has they got on? It's Raina and... Yeah, I don't have the details of that. Um, but definitely check that out. I think that's about it. And tune. In, and if you want to get in contact with us, you can message us on Queenie at the Queenie Facebook page or email us Queenie without... That's just Queering the Air without any underscores at gmail.com. Um, yeah. And you can shoot. We're not going to see you for a bit because we're going on summer programming. And we're not going to be <laughs> broadcasting. Um, so yeah, I hope you have a good. If you you don't miss us too much, but we'll be back next year. We'll Merry Christmas, back. everyone! Have a really good Happy New Year. Yeah, best wishes to everyone for this time of the year. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.